of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org and hosted by me, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia. And that is all of you out there in this great patriot family making America great one listen at a time. And it's really good to be back with you uh, coming right off of last night's episode with Madman Actual. We've been on kind of a roll on this end this week. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to get back down to brass tacks. I had uh, a couple of weeks in the training schedule or a break in the training schedule, rather, where I could get back down to cranking out content for all of you out there. So we've got some episodes of Lessons from the Farm that are going to be getting posted up momentarily. And I've got another project that I am working on, too, for all of you Podbean patron subscribers at the $1 level. At the $1 level. So previously, what we had done for all of you in the the Radio Contra subscriber family out there was open up the library all the way back to episode one, all the old Sons of Liberty live shows. It's crazy to think that we've been doing this for two years now, but but we have, and man, has time flown. But I'm going to add more things to it, more content, more bang for your buck, more usable products for you in your day-to-day lives because I owe you a lot. And uh, for my subscribers out there, for the folks who have really watched this podcast grow and have enabled that growth over the years, I really can't thank you enough. Uh, for propelling us to where we are now. And I'm telling you, by the end of the year, where we are now, where we are now is one plateau, but, but we are climbing onward and upward because we are always improving our individual position where we are. And anybody that knows me knows that, that I am really not comfortable in stasis uh, I do not like resting on laurels. I do not like putting out the same product, you know, rinse and repeat over and over again. I like mixing it up. I like doing new things. I like adding new things. I like being dynamic and being unpredictable and really offering this community the absolute most because you guys deserve it. 
You guys out there deserve it. You know, when I say that th- this audience is making America great, one listen at a time, you absolutely are. You absolutely are. And it is that community which we've created that is making America great and, and is going to continue to do that. You know, we have some very serious challenges ahead of us, but we're going to get through it and we're going to get through it together. And it's through your hard work and your determination politically, the community activism and the training for when that day comes, when things are going to turn really bad and probably really ugly and they may okay they may we have to be prepared for those days because it's a very uncertain future and the wolves are at the door you know last night's episode was really uh to me you know we we went extra long i always love talking to madman actual because he's one of those people it's just like bob griswold two nights ago he's one of those guys that you can listen to literally all night you can have a conversation where it just flows and you know i'm blown away it's 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 one of those people that when you link up with you immediately know that we're on the same page and when we're on the same page and we are putting out that information and it is getting out there that that wonderful product is being shared to all of you that is something seriously to be proud of um, you know, I went back and, and listened to a little bit of that episode this morning while, uh, you know, I was getting some work done on my end and man, oh man. Um, wow. You know, I challenge anybody out there to find a podcast where we're putting out content like that. Um, bar none, uh, find another one out there and that that's not bragging. That is just pointing out a fact that where else are you going to get that level of insider insight on what's going on day to day. Uh, so, you know, again, and, and I'm really proud to have these guys, you know, th- this is the level of quality that American partisan attracts that this crowd attracts that we have all together. And, um, you know, I, I am very, very proud of that. So, uh, you know, Madman actual is, is somebody that I just can't get on often enough and uh, again, you know, many, many thanks. We've got a lot of great guests. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests. We've got a lot of great guests that are going to be coming in here in the near future that I've been working on, been courting some names, you know, and some names that maybe you don't know, but you want to know. Um, and, and I will uh, leave it at that. But real quick, I want to give a shout out to show sponsors First and absolutely uh, must read and should be on your shelf. My very good friend, Jack Lawson, Civil Defense Manual. You know, I wrote the communications chapter for his book. Now, I'm in the middle of writing my own book, uh, the first of, of three and potentially more. And I've been dedicating a lot of time to that. Uh, It's taking a little bit longer than what I originally anticipated because it's the first book that I've ever written. Uh, But talking about Civil Defense Manual, you know, absolute must-have. Absolute must-have. CivilDefenseManual.com, two-volume set that will absolutely 
serve as an invaluable primer for getting your community defense group, your mutual assistance group, your militia, whatever it is that you want to call it. Neighborhood protection team is the term that Jack Lawson really, really likes to use and one that I agree with as well. These these two books must have, okay, must have civildefensemanual.com. Next on the list, Blacksmith Publishing. My very good friends, Mike Blackburn and Paul LaFavor, two very well-known special operators, retired special forces. Um, Paul LaFavor was also over in CAG, uh, sometimes known as Delta Force, previously known as Delta Force, but CAG, Combat Applications Group. Um, I had them on back in episode 97, and I did a podcast with them recently that's going to be airing on the 29th of July. But to give you an idea, I could I could list off these guys' bona fides all day long, but I'm only going to tell you one, and it's really the only one that you need to know. These two guys wrote the U.S. Army Special Forces Small Unit Tactics Handbook. They wrote the book, Okay. It doesn't get any more valid. It doesn't get any more serious bona fides than that. And you can get that book on blacksmithpublishing.com. I frequently put up links over to Amazon, but that's not all. They have a lot of really great books. I think one of the most important books that the American man needs to read today is Iron Sharpening Iron. You know, and I've talked about that book at length in the past, and uh, I, I really can't say anything more about it, more glowing than pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it, and it will rekindle a, a spiritual awakening in all of us that we need. And I constantly reference that book in my life. It, it is a guidepost. For us, uh, but I'm going to have the two of them on in the near future. Really looking forward to that. I was on with them. Uh, that episode's going to be airing of the Pinelander, which is their podcast, which can also be found here on Podbean as well as anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Uh, they're on all of the big platforms out there, but you can access that podcast uh, here and it's going to be airing on the 29th of July. So I'm really excited to uh, see some of the responses from that once that gets posted up. Last, certainly not least, my very good friend Joe Dolio with his Tactical Wisdom series, frequent guest of the show. I'm going to have him back on here in the near future. I've kind of had a drought uh, you know, had, hadn't talked to my buddy Joe in, in a little while, uh, but we're going to get him back on here in the very near future because, you know, his his analysis and breakdown of the the worldwide situation, I think, is is really a great one. Uh, to have and and his understanding of geopolitics and and how all of this stuff is forming his predictions have have been pretty spot on uh whether they've been on here on radio contra or some of the other podcasts he's been featured on uh brook talks america i was uh, uh, a co-guest with him when i did the class up in uh, michigan and that's another podcast is here on the podbean platform as well so anyway, those three, definitely support them. Let them know 
that you heard about them here on Radio Contra. And again, over on AmericanPartisan.org, I have frequent links to their work. Definitely need uh, those references. And, and, you know, I don't give people a ringing endorsement unless it's something that I actually use, unless it's something that I can personally vouch for the veracity of, you know, everything that is contained therein. You know, I, I'm not going to be recommending um, junk stuff. And, and, you know, I'll tell people straight up uh, if something's good or not. I'm not afraid to do that because if you're coming to me for advice, and a lot of people do, a lot of people do. A lot of people send emails out and, you know, they're, they're asking things and people come to class. You know, there's a lot of opinions out there and I'm really honored that people ask me for mine about different topics. And, you know, I owe it to you to give you a professional answer. You know, I, I'm not going to sit and say, oh, well, you know, this product, which deep down I know is junk but I'm going to be out there recommending it. Um, you know, I'm not going to do that. And sometimes it gets me a little bit of flack here and there. I mean, Hey, you know, it is what it is. I don't think any of the steel, uh, plate body armor manufacturers are going to be sponsoring the show anytime soon. Uh, because I tell the truth, you know, I'm going to tell the truth. I don't think any of the uh, satellite phone manufacturers out there that are, that are peddling their products are, are going to be sponsoring the show anytime soon either. Hey, and Hey, I mean, I'm telling you the way that it is, okay? This is real. This is real information here. It's not, um, I'm not being paid to suggest this stuff. This is stuff that I would be uh, recommending either way, whether it was a show sponsor or not, because the products are that good. And uh, I've got a lot more that is going to be coming down the pipe here in the near future. But in this episode, it's been a long time since I've done this and, you know, how time flies pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, we, we've just had so much ground to cover and it's really tough this year in, in 2022. I've spent a lot of time on the road. Um, this year, I, my, my training goal was to take the courses that I offer and offer them literally coast to coast. And together we've done that. We have done that. And we've been, you know, near and far and taught things. I, you know, I, I've literally went coast to coast, had my West Coast classes, um, you know, and, and of course here, the stuff in North Carolina over in Tennessee, down in Texas, Michigan, um, you know, and, and the year's obviously not over. I mean, we're halfway through it. It's, it's you know, we're here at halftime. And uh, looking at the schedule headed out for the remainder of 2022, I've got a lot of stuff that, you know, we're going to be doing uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm headed out west again here in September. So that's going to be the last time that I head out west for a public class this year. So if you are on the west coast, if you're out west and you want the scout course, hey, September is it. You know, come on up to, to Wyoming. It's going to be absolutely gorgeous in early September. And, um, you know, definitely you're going to want in on that class. And that's the last time that I'm going to offer it in 2022. Uh, prospectively, and I, you know, we always have to say in, in this day and age, uh, prospectively, because we don't know necessarily what 2023 offers. Um, you know, I'm scheduling classes here in North Carolina 
uh, for sure in 2023. And some of those are already up on the training calendar over at brushbeaterorg slash training calendar, brushbeaterorg slash training calendar. Uh, but you know, as far as the travel dates, I don't have anything nailed down just yet. I'm, I'm working with some folks, uh, but you know, prospectively next June, and I've had some emails about this. Oh, well, I can't make the scout course in September out in Wyoming. When might you offer it out here again? It's going to be June. Uh, it's right now. It's looking at next June, so almost a year out, eleven months out, is going to be the next time that it's offered out there. And you know, hey. I've had other emails whenever I answer people that and they, they get angry. They say, Oh, you know, well, well, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. Well, neither do I, man. Neither do I, uh, you know, imagine my frustration. I want to give you the training. I want you to be able to come out to the training now. And if you can't justify the time to get, to get out there and do it, don't complain to me that you're not getting in on a class. Okay. It's, it's all in what you value. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't do this to go broke either. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Uh, I can't afford to travel out to train, you know, three people. It's, it's just not going to happen. And, and I also can't travel out to your locale and bring my facility with me when I'm doing it, you have to have an adequate place for me to do it. So, you know, I, I have a lot of people that email me, Hey, I would like for you to come out here and train us. And, you know, I ask, well, what does your facility look like? And, you know, um, <laughs> you know, well, you'll be sleeping on the ground and it's like, well, yeah, it doesn't work for me. Um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't. So anyway, but with that said, um, again, the posts have been up on brushbeater.org. Uh, the training calendar has been updated and amended. We've got the classes up. There is going to be a North Florida class. I've had a lot of interest in that. A lot of Patriots out of Florida. It is far North Florida. Okay. It's far North Florida and it's going to be in November and those dates are up. So get with me. If you want to get the registration information on that class, and that's going to be the last scout course for the year in November. Okay. Last scout course for the year. Of course, I've got my classes here in North Carolina in October. They are pretty much full. The recce course, which is the second level of the scout course is still got some spots available, but the scout course is pretty much full at this time. Okay. Uh, so anyhow, with that said, getting on with the episode, it's been a little while since I've been able to do this, uh, but questions to Radio Contra, uh, questions to Radio Contra, and there are some really good ones that I get from time to time, and uh, for the folks who send me emails, I get a lot of these fairly often. Sometimes I'm, I'm not able to get to them immediately because I have to spend a lot of time every day doing all the things, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes emails have to take a last place, right? But uh, anyway, with that said, um, got an email here that, that I want to field because I get a lot of questions of this type. And uh, I think that it would do a lot of good to, to kind of cover this ground on a specific episode uh, but this is coming from a Proton Mail account. I'm, you know, not gonna disclose the name. 
but uh, NC, love your articles. I am respectfully requesting some system pointers as I am short-circuiting, trying to figure out the best plan. Currently have 556, 9 millimeter, 380, 45, 762 by 39, 762 by 51, 357 mag, and 12 gauge. All right, so you're talking about weapon systems, obviously, here. Uh, I think I have too much crap. No, I know I do. I was thinking of consolidating all pistols to 9mm, all rifles to 762 by 39 and stacking deep. Maybe grabbing one of those one-shot 50 BMG jobs for a just-in-case. Uh, or maybe, no, a waste of money and resources. Eliminating the 5.56 calibers, 380 and 45. What do you think? Very respectively, uh, or very respectfully, uh, we'll just say M. And uh, United States Navy vet uh, for four years in the early 2000s. Uh, well, first, brother, hey, thank you for your service to the country. I want to say that first, uh, as, from a vet to a vet. And uh, got a mountain of respect for all, all my uh, sailor brothers in, in the United States Navy. Um, that is, and I've, I've told all the guys, Navy guys I've had in class, especially the Submariners, you guys have a job that both is extremely fascinating to me and has been ever since I was a kid, uh, but one that I would never, ever want to have. Uh, because especially the Submariners, because man, you, you guys have it rough, uh, living in a, a small tin can with the, the same group of guys under the ocean for a long period of time, not seeing daylight. That's not, nah, no way. Uh, but anyway, anyway, with that said, uh, talking about consolidating calibers. So, you know, right off the bat, I would say get rid of 380. The, there's no point in it. Um, you know, th there was a time where uh, 380 ACP was very advantageous because of the subcompact handguns that utilized it as a caliber. Um, that's why the 380 got very popular in criminal underworld circles. Uh, because it was so small, you, you could come, uh, easily conceal those weapons and you still can, but with, uh, some of the modern options that are out there, the single stack Glocks that are out, the Glock 48 in particular, uh, the 43 X, the 48, very, very compact. You know, you've, you've got Springfield Armory with the XD, uh, Slimline series has been out for a number of years now. It's been very popular. The Hellcat, which is, you know, new. Um, and Clay Martin is, is a really big fan of that. Had him on the show in the past, you know, author of Prairie Fire and Concrete Jungle. Uh, big, big fan of American Partisan. Um, you know, and, and we're in turn big fans of his. But uh, I, I would eliminate 380 because 9mm supersedes it in all, in all cases, uh, 100%. Um, and then that begs the question of 9mm or 45. I know the, the epic internet battle ensues, you know, 9mm versus 45. Listen, I love both of those calibers. Um, I am a bona fide 1911 nut. I love the 1911 platform. I love how it shoots and 
have an affinity for it, just like I have an affinity for old muscle cars and Jeeps and things that are old and really cool looking and classics, right? Um, but with that said, do I think that you're giving up anything going from uh, a 45 to a nine millimeter? No. Uh, no, absolutely not. I think nine millimeter one is, is, uh, still even to this day, cheaper to shoot, easier to train with. Um, you know, you've got some old timers out there like, uh, Masad Ayub, for example, who is, you know, uh, out there really pushing nine millimeter hard these days. And, and he's an old hand 45 guy. Uh, you've got Ken Hackathorn who, who's doing the same thing. I mean, and, and these guys have a mountain of knowledge as trainers. You know, both of them have a lot of bona fides in the defensive department. Um, you know, been in defensive encounters. You know, they, they, they can vouch for what works and what doesn't. Uh, so, you know, I don't think, me personally, you're ever going to be undergunned with a 9mm. Uh, my everyday carry is a Glock 19. So, you know... I, again, I, I feel perfectly comfortable with that jacketed hollow points, 147 grain, um, you know, no issue there. Uh, no issue there. So could you eliminate 45? Yeah. Uh, for, you know, if, if you're trying to streamline calibers and 45 is, you know, you're, you're not necessarily concerned with getting attacked by wild animals you know, you're, you're not out in the back country of, uh, you know, northern Michigan or, uh, you know, kind of the getting up towards the Canadian border or in Alaska, you know, but even then 45, I don't think that would be my first choice. I would be picking 10 millimeter. Uh, so, you know, th there's that. Uh, looking down the list here, other pistol calibers. The other one that you have is 357 Magnum. Um, 357 Magnum. I don't think I would get rid of that because that's not a daily shooter and 357 Magnum. I don't know what you have chambered in it because you didn't specify here, uh, but I'm assuming I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably a revolver, meaning you can get 38 special to train with as well, which is a lot less expensive and very easy to reload. Uh, 357 Magnum is very easy to reload. Also, it's it's straight wall cartridge. It's you know it, it's very very simple, very rudimentary uh, handgun to reload for. And I would never tell you to get rid of a a revolver. I think uh, revolvers, revolver caliber is always going to be around. They've got some great applications uh, for defensive firearm use. You know they can handle higher pressures. Uh, more power loadings. I wouldn't get rid of the 357. Uh, so I would hold on to that. Plus, I mean, 357 also in a pinch can be a very effective hunting round uh, for moderate sized game. So, whitetail deer. Uh, there's a lot of hunters that I know that use 44 Magnum, 357 Magnum in uh, some longer barreled revolver variants. Uh, Taurus and Smith and Wesson are both very popular around here as is uh, Ruger with the Red Hawk line. So I wouldn't get rid of the 357. That's just me. Uh, but I, you know, we, we can cut 380 for sure. I'd go on and get rid of that. I would have already sold that. Um, you know, 45 
as much as it pains me to say it because I love that caliber. Uh, but if you're trying to streamline things and, and pare things down to one standard, you're not losing anything by switching over completely to nine millimeter for an everyday carry. I, I don't feel that you are, um, you know, and, and some people out there are probably going to disagree with that. Hey, you, you know, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, the internet is full of people who do. So there you go. Uh, talking about rifle calibers, this is where it's going to get real muddy. Um, five, five, six. It depends on how many weapons you have for it and how heavily invested you are in it. Uh, 5.56 has a number of really great applications. You know, I used the caliber in combat across three deployments because it was what I was issued. And I can personally attest that it works. And that was even with really shitty ammo. Uh, SS-109 or M855 is really shitty ammo, okay? I don't recommend anybody buy that for defensive applications. So, there's that. And people say, oh, but it's armor-piercing. Yeah, okay, well, you know what else is armor-piercing? Proper shot placement, okay? And shooting first. That that is also armor-piercing because you're just bypassing the armor, right? Uh, so, and, and SS-109, by the way, is, is not 100%. Uh, on quote-unquote piercing armor so that's you know it it does have the steel core or tungsten core let's be specific Uh, but there's better loadings out there i'm not a fan of it okay period if if you're sitting on a truckload of ss109 m855 ammo hey cool whatever uh please don't bring that to my class where we're shooting steel because it's it's just not good stuff uh, but anyway, um, five, five, six can be very effective though. I, I think, um, the, uh, XM 193, 55 grain ammo, which is still relatively inexpensive, uh, comparatively speaking, it works. Okay. Um, you know, barrel twists and everything else that might be a little bit more of an advanced discussion than, than we're necessarily willing to get into, uh, at this point, but, I wouldn't get rid of 556. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't get rid of it. I don't know if I'd necessarily um, invest heavily in it if you have other platforms, uh, which we're about to get to here here in a second, but I wouldn't get rid of it. I mean, I, I look at 556 as kind of a hedge. You know, enough people use it. It is ubiquitous enough in our working environment that... Um, I'd hold on to it. I mean, you know, you never know. And even if it's not your first choice for a variety of applications, and and there's some great reasons why it's not. I mean, it, 5.56, depending on the bullet weight, I'm a big fan of 77 grain. Um, it can do some great things, and it can be a great caliber. But there are some drawbacks. I mean, if, if you're living in a heavily wooded and vegetated area uh, like I do, 5.56 may not be your best choice, but but the AR-15 platform itself lends itself very well to optics integration and modern enabler integration as well. Uh, and, you know, it, there's so much known data that's out there regarding the platform that um, I really can't argue against it. Uh, so really, really what I'm trying to say is hold on to it. 
you know, I, I wouldn't divest myself of five, five, six, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, th- that's that, uh, moving down the list here, seven, six, two by 39. Again, same, same question as with five, five, six, how much of it do you have? Okay. How much of it do you have? And, uh, if you're already heavily invested in that weapon, uh, or that caliber rather, what weapon are you using? So, um, for example, the AK, I mean, everybody out there that's, you know, followed me for a really long time knows I'm a big fan of the AK platform. I think, uh, it it is a great weapon system. It's going to be around for a very long time, you know, and it, it continues to perform very well despite what, you know, certain internet pundits out there, YouTube quote unquote experts and whatever else. Oh, the AK is obsolete. Now, bullshit, uh, it's not obsolete, and I think, I have an inkling that if things continue to deteriorate in the United States, and we see, you know, the the reality of peacekeepers uh, here domestically inside the United States uh, trying to to maintain domestic security, we're going to see the AK fielded uh, in 762 by 39 because that is what is currently being manufactured in South America right now and fielded in a number of those countries that are aligned with uh, Russia and China. And, you know, I've, I've talked about that. The, the factory in Venezuela that is cranking out the AK-103 and 104 in substantial numbers is also building the ammunition. And so 762 by 39, again, it, it's, it's the most common caliber in the world. It is going to be out there. It is not going away. Um, Palmetto State Armory is in the middle of building an ammunition factory uh, in South Carolina that's going to be cranking out that ammunition. And the ammo is still being imported as well. I mean, despite uh, statements to the contrary, it's still available. You know, it's a lot more expensive than it used to be. But, uh, it, you know, it, it still is here. It still is available. And um, at the end of the day, 762 by 39 has a reputation of being, you know, the poor man's deer cartridge here in the U.S., uh, particularly where I live in the southeast here in, in North Carolina, where growing up, a lot of hunters had a surplus Norinco SKS rifle. And uh, that made for a very inexpensive, because you used to be able to buy these things dirt cheap. And they were nice rifles, especially for the money. You know, ammo's cheap, rifle's cheap, you got a great deer cartridge. And uh, as a very close friend of mine, um, Vietnam vet, ranger in Vietnam, uh, really, uh, he, he was existing um, in... In, in the special warfare paradigm, he was existing back in, in the Wild West days, really. And he's a huge fan of the AK and always will be. Um, you know, and he's getting on up there in age now. And he's like, no, there's only one combat rifle out there that's still out there now. And it ain't the AR-15, you know, and, and that's his opinion. I don't necessarily share that opinion, but here in the Southeast, um, jungle type environments, heavily wooded. A lot of intermediate barriers out there with the vegetation. 762 by 39 is a great performer. And I think anybody that argues that it's not a man stopper has obviously never seen anybody shot with it. Uh, And and that's with all of the the cartridges available for it. You know, from the flat bottom M43 
all the way up to um, you know the soft point variants and 8M3, which is uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, which I don't think is uh, available anymore on the American market. But uh, soft points as well, which, which uh, Wolf, Mil Spec, or uh, Military Classic rather, soft points are still on the market. You can still find them, and uh, they're running about $440 a case. So I would hold on to it. Uh, I don't see any reason to get rid of it. Uh, next rifle caliber, 762 by 51, the good old 308 Winchester. Do not get rid of that caliber. I say again, do not get rid of that caliber. Now, do I think that it is a uh, one caliber for all seasons? No. And, you know, James Wesley Rawls, who I've had on the show a number of times, we've talked about it uh, at length. He does. And, and we disagree on that. And that's fine. Uh, that's fine. Now, you got to take into consideration where he lives. All right. In Idaho, where he is located out, out in the, the readout and going out there and training people out there, I can tell you that, you know, you have a long sight radius. And you, you're going to be required to make those longer distance shots. But you also have wild game out there that is extremely dangerous. Okay, you've got elk, right? You've got uh, brown bear. You've got black bear. You've got uh, you know, grizzlies as well that can be on top of you. And even though we have black bear here in North Carolina, typically they're, they're not as aggressive unless you really tick them off. They're not as aggressive I mean, a grizzly out west, any hunter, any guide hunter, anybody that, that spent any time in the outdoors out in the western states, out in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho, they can tell you that this is a really serious threat. So 762-51 offers a lot more energy than the aforementioned uh, rifle calibers, the intermediate cartridges. You know, 762-51 uh, coming out of the combat realities of World War II, where uh, 30-odd-6 was very prevalent, uh, 7.62 by 63, right? And, and that was, you know, we, we were using these big, heavy, long cartridges that had an extended range capability to them. But even in a close-range fight, uh, some of the, the uh, uh, combat accounts of Marines in the South Pacific using the 1903... At, at close range, there's some interesting old videos uh, of that. It has a huge amount of energy with it. I really like 762 by 51 as a long range caliber. And there are calibers out there these days that have superseded it. Um, 6.5 Creedmoor, of course, you know, 6 millimeter Creedmoor. The Wildcats are, are really coming out. Uh, 6.8 SIG is out now that that's the one that um, the army is adopting in, in limited numbers. And we're going to see how that goes. But um, 762 by 51 is what I ran in combat as a precision marksmanship weapon platform. And I have zero complaints with it. It was what I was trained to use. It's what I know. Um, and I still use that in precision marksmanship platforms. Uh, the, the three, precision bolt guns that I have are all in 762 by 51 and uh, I wouldn't get rid of it. I would not carry it as a one and done standalone caliber. Okay. Because where I live, 
The AK does that a lot better. Okay, 762 by 39 does it better. It's lighter, right? I can carry more of the ammunition in a lighter weight package, and within 300 meters, it does everything I need for it to do out of a relatively compact package. Um, you know, I, I can use a cut-down AK, you know, the, the one that I'm currently training with and, and, and absolutely in love with is Palmetto State Armory's uh, cut-down GF3. It's a 13.7-inch barrel with a dead-air uh, suppressor mount on it, um, you know, side-folding triangle stock. I've got an Ultimac on it and um, a uh, Holosun 403 red dot up on top of that. And, man, I am in love with that package. Uh, so, you know, there you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, so last, of course, on the list, 12-gauge. You know, 12-gauge, shotgun caliber, keep it. Uh, I mean, 12 gauge is one of the most ubiquitous calibers. Again, it's like 762 by 39. It ain't going anywhere. Uh, and every everybody needs a shotgun. Okay, you need a shotgun. Would a shotgun be my first option that I pick up for a gunfight? No. Uh, no, it would not. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, slow reloads being one of them. And I know, I know, there's magazine-fed shotguns. Look, I, I was one of the early people that had a Sega 12. Uh, for a long period of time in, in the 2000s. And I wasn't that impressed with it, okay? It, you know, other than reloads, and even speed reloads could be a little tricky with it. Um, so, you know, and I know there's other magazine-loaded shotguns that are out there, but good old 870, Mossberg 500, um, you can't go wrong with those. They're still inexpensive, they're, you know, and, and they're good weapons. So uh, don't get rid of the 12 gauge. It's versatility. Um, you, you can do literally anything with it. And again, uh, like like my old uh, Vietnam vet ranger buddy says, you know, if, if it'll kill a deer, it'll kill a man. And that's kind of been his philosophy and that, that wisdom that he imparted on me a long time ago. And I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I agree with that. And uh, especially for where I live here in the Southeast where it's, it's thick, you know, and we're right in the middle of the summer. It's, it's a jungle out here, you know? Uh, so I hope that that answers your question a little bit. Um, kind of demystifies some things, you know, really the only ones on the list that I'd absolutely get rid of the three Oh, uh, uh, 380 rather, uh, not 308, but the 380. I definitely get rid of those uh, because that I, I feel it is an obsolete caliber. Uh, it doesn't do anything that nine millimeter doesn't do better. And the modern nine millimeter offerings that are subcompact, if can, if ultra concealments, what you're looking for, there's so many options out there these days that do it better, that just do it better. Um, and, and so I just, I don't see a point in 380. I would get rid of that 45, unless you absolutely have a need for a subsonic that hits like a hammer. Um, you know, I, I just don't, again, it, it, you know, I love the 45 because I love the 1911, but if it's going to be the first thing that I pick up for uh, defensive carry, you know, Glock 19 is going to be where it's at. And, you know, I have a, a commander length. 1911 that I love and I often carry it as a defensive carry piece as well. Um, you know, but 
if if I'm going to a place where reliability and magazine capacity and and everything is is an absolute uh, Glock 19 all day every day. Uh, so there is that. Um, but anyway, brother, thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for that email. Thank you for the questions and, and for everybody else. I hope that, uh, you know, that, that sheds a little bit of insight next email on the list. And this is coming from a student that I had in the fighting carbine course. And this is a question that I think is a really good one to field to a lot of y'all out there. Uh, and of course, um, you know, this is coming from uh, his personal email, which I'm not going to disclose. But, Scout, I was thinking about what you said about having the IR laser mounted where you can activate it with your hand rather than a pe- pressure switch, removing the weapon's light. What I would want to do is move the IR laser to where the weapon's light is and remove the light. However, am I correct in thinking that the IR laser will need to be re-zeroed? All right, so let's talk about this. And I wanted to field this question because this is a really good weapons setup question. Um, you know, we see a lot of funky things that are out there on the internet. You know, again, internet opinions are exactly that. Some of them are pretty all right. Some of them are real, real bad. And the thing is, is that if you're, if you're brand new, if you're just getting into this, or maybe you've been in the game for a little while and you're trying to upgrade your capabilities. Maybe, you know, like you're just now wading into the night vision world. Um, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, you know, and and one of the do's is is absolutely, uh, you know, running an IR laser. OK, are there times for passive target acquisition? Yeah. Uh, um, there are, and, and I've written about those in the past, uh, static sight observation, you know, passive night vision, uh, mounting it either in front of your optic. If you're running like an ACOG or a prismatic type optic, uh, works pretty well. If you're running like a red dot or something, you can, you can mount a PVS 14 in the back. That's why I really like PVS 14 is it's, it's versatility, but for everything else, uh, for most other things, you know, you need an IR laser. Okay, it, it's can you passively aim? Yeah, I mean, I have people do it in class. I can do it with the AK, uh, mounting a red dot up front. Of course, red dot equipped uh, pistols, handguns, you can do it as well. Um, but that being said, the most simplest way to do it is to have a dedicated IR laser. All right, so the way that I mount it on my weapons and uh, Yesterday, I wrote a piece, a real quick piece, knocked one out based on a conversation I was having with a friend of mine. Um, You know, a tale of two weapons setups, because we we like to think of weapons and the way that we we set up our weapons as all being like mutually exclusive, right? People are like, oh, this is my CQB setup or this is my long range setup. And it's like, yeah, but they're two AR-15s. Well, yeah, but this one does this and this one does this. And I'm like okay, well, which one are you going to pick up? Uh, well, you know, and there's always some qualifier in there. And that's not me belittling anybody at all. Believe me, it's completely the opposite. It's a thought experiment. Okay. What are you doing with what you have here? Like, what is the task and purpose behind this? Is this like a, a general purpose, 
I'm going to use this for everything, or is this more of a specialized type weapon? Because I, I'm going to tell you flat out, everybody needs to really get into the habit of having one weapon system layout and sticking with it, whatever it is, right? If it's something that's like ultra lightweight, ultra lightweight AR, and, um, you know, you're using it get it out to range i mean if it's if it's something that's equipped with a red dot i mean i've been making a lot of use out of hollow suns um and i've got a couple of ars that are equipped with hollow suns i've got an ultralight ar build that i'm a big fan of has a 12 inch barrel and it i mean i keep calling it the katana because this thing is is just fast it's simple very simple layout i've got an ir laser on it I've got that Holosun red dot on it, which is a bomb-proof optic, especially considering the cost. And that's it. You know, nothing else. Uh, I've, I've got a, a simple sling that's on it. There is a small Magpul uh, rail sling adapter. They're little metal rail sling adapter. I'm a big fan of those because there's nothing that can break with it. It is, it you know, the thing is bomb-proof. And I mount that up high on the rail out towards the muzzle to give me a handhold okay that is where i am instinctually placing my hand when i am manipulating my carbine and uh you know i do that it's the same on all of my carbines right and it's in the same place on all of my carbines so it doesn't matter if i pick up one uh, you know I've, I've got one that's uh, topped with a, a night force nx8 i've got another one that's got a primary arms got bcm it's got primary arms uh one to eight uh acss that is ancient i've had that one for like five years now um performed very very well i bought it when it and yes i bought it when it first uh, the, the one to eight by 24 first came out and I've been very happy with it. It's a great one. Um, you know, I've got another rifle. that has got an ACOG on it. And, um, on each of those, they're all set up the same. Okay. They, they're all set up. They, they have slightly different purposes behind them, but they're all set up the same so that I can, uh, grab one, any one, and they still all function. Right. And one of the things that each of them also have is an infrared laser and that infrared laser so we'll talk real quick about the, the best of the bunch that is on the market, and that's the PEC-15, okay? I know that there's a lot of other ones out there. Holosun's IR laser is really nice for the money. To me, my one big criticism of it is that it sits up too high on the uh, rail mount, and I personally don't like that. Um, I, I don't understand why it's, it's too hard to integrate the rail mount into the body, but have that thing setting down on the rail, um, you know, it, and the PEC-15 is designed that way to have minimal uh, sight uh, obstruction through your optic. And that's really that that's what we're looking for, because I want to be able to see everything. I, I don't want something that is obstructing my view, uh, whether that's the, the lower one third or, or um, greater. I think lower one third is like the, the maximum that I can tolerate something obstructing my view because, you know, it, it, we just can't have that. Um, that reduces your effectiveness for a lot of reasons. Um, so even with a red dot, 
practice shooting out to 300 meters, you know, something with a 12 inch barrel. Oh, you know, you, you'll, you'll see on the internet that people will say, Oh, that, you know, that isn't going to make the trip or, it, you know, five, five, six loses so much energy at that range. Does it, does it, um, I, I mean, I'll admit that it's no, it, it's not as good in carried energy or spin drift or wind drift or, or, you know, whatever as, uh, a 16 inch barrel or longer. I get that. But the thing weighs five and a half pounds with all of my enablers on it and a suppressor mount. Okay. And a suppressor mount. So, you know, and, and can I still kill someone with it? Yes. Uh, the answer is yes. I can still accurately engage a threat in my environment and still make a kill with it. Okay. I mean, there's been guys that have been running the Mark 11 overseas and been very effective with it with five, five, six, um, you know, using 77 grain open tip match, you know I mean? Hey, it, the results speak for themselves. Okay. The Marsoc guys that, that have been running shorty ARs, um, you know, some of the stuff that's, that's come out of the crane labs, you know, and they're, they're running the, uh, barrier blind SOST rounds, which I've got a couple thousand of those, uh, 62 grain. I don't think they're available on the market anymore, but, um, again, it, it's all in the loading. Okay. The weapon weighs five and a half pounds. That's loaded. All right. It is a, a light, fast, effective. I'm effective out to 300 meters with it, which out here, 300 meters is a long shot, you know, and I can carry it all day long and it's, it, you know, it, it doesn't encumber me. Um, I don't feel like I'm carrying an anvil up and down the hills here, you know, so it's something to think about. So to the meat of your question here, uh, moving around IR lasers, um, you know, you need to move it forward out towards the muzzle because when, just as I taught you in class, when we're placing our hand forward, our support hand forward, right? We're placing our support hand forward out towards the muzzle and getting that good C grip, right? Now, I don't use forward grips or, uh, you know, that angled forward grip that was really popular for a while or any of that stuff because I think that those things add weight. They also add obtrusiveness to my weapon. And those are things that are going to get caught up in the underbrush, okay, when, when I'm moving through things in my environment. Life is not the flat range, okay? Real life, moving through the woods, is not the flat range, as everybody realizes when they come to the scout course, that they're like, oh, man, you know, my rifle that was performing so well on every range that I've ever been to now all of a sudden kind of sucks for carrying around in the woods and doing small unit tactics. And it's like, yeah. Um, you know, you, you have to get to that final firing position, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, with that said, when, whenever we move around an optic or an enabler, okay. Um, our hand position, we, you know, ergonomics, people on the internet love to mention ergonomics in terms of like the weapon platform. Can I manipulate the safety on and off with, with, you know, minimal, difficulty can i shoulder it do, do i have a natural point of aim with it can i master the manual of arms quickly so on and so forth right well ergonomics also apply to our mounting of enablers and so what do i mean by enablers uh things that enable us to do tasks that we otherwise wouldn't be able to 
so infrared laser, for example, you know, that allows us to aim, uh, actively aim at night under night vision. So yeah, those have to be zeroed. Okay. And, and I've written articles in the past on how to zero those. Um, you know, there is the constant offset method. There is, uh, you know, uh, the, the intersection method collating, uh, as well. So you can use a laser bore site, which is what I use one real quick way to battle site zero, your IR laser, uh, before you, you head out. And again, I, I really like the PEC 15 because it has a visible laser as well as an IR laser and the visible laser is there to zero. Okay. It, nobody ever uses a visible laser for anything other than, um, uh, well, other than messing with a cat, you know, cause you can do that kind of hit it on the ground and watch your cat chase it. Right. But, um, you know, or, or, or your dog, if you have a spastic pit bull, um, you know, they, they love to mess with them too, but you're using that to, to zero because the IR laser is connected to the visible laser. When you adjust one, you adjust the other. And you have to zero that, right? So you have that visible laser. You zero that looking through your optic. You mate wherever your optics uh, crosshair is. You're mating your laser to that, all right? And you're going to be on target at that given distance. So if you've zeroed at 25, your IR laser is going to be zeroed at 25. You zero at 50, you know, so on and so forth. Um, it, and again, that that is a whole other conversation. But yes, uh, to that question... Anytime we move something around on our weapon system, we have to re-zero it. Okay, we have to re-zero it. And, um, you know, stuff has to be mounted so that we can manipulate it. Our enablers are manipulated with our supporting hand. And so uh, I set all my weapons up for ambidexterity because we have to be in a working environment when we're utilizing cover and uh, concealment, so on and so forth. We don't always, you know, I'm right-handed. We don't always get that right-handed shot. You know, ideally we do, but using cover in a working environment, I might have to switch hands. And uh, that's something that we do in class in the fighting carbine course. And it's something that you need to be training on, both with uh, fighting carbine as well as handgun. And so if I have to do that, then my enablers have to be ambidextrous as well. And so that's why I always mount an IR laser on the top, uh, on the center of, of uh, the rail, on the top, out towards the muzzle, in front of where my support hand is going to be placed. And that's why on a PEC-15, you have that little pressure pad on the top that I can index with my thumb. And I can do that with either, either hand. Right. If I'm using my left hand, which I most often am as a support hand, I can index it. Right. If I'm using my right hand as a support hand, I can index it with my right thumb and, you know, with no issues. If I'm mounting the IR laser on one side or the other, I don't really have the ability to do that. OK. Um, pressure pads. You know, I remember uh, specifically your pressure pad. Uh, and I'm speaking to the guy that emailed here, you know, you, you had uh, the pressure switches that were on there and you were having some difficulty with those. I don't recommend using them. Um, I know that there, there's some people that disagree with that. Hey, that's fine. Um, I don't use them because that's an added layer of complication. When we were in Afghanistan out in the desert, um, 
a lot of guys were finding that in the winter months because of, you know, somewhat warmer days and then really cold at night when we were out on operations, um, those pressure switches would end up cracking and breaking and the, uh, the, the uh, uh, power cable running from the pressure switch to the enabler itself to the PEC-15 or uh, to the TAC light, as some of the guys were running TAC lights, um, they, they would end up breaking. Or they would get snagged up on gear or, you know, a multitude of other things would happen and they were just really inconvenient. So we ended up ditching them uh, all together. And I know uh, there's a lot of people who do run them out there. I see them always in class. Um, just keep in mind that when you get into a field environment where you're moving around a lot, it's, they're going to end up biting you. Uh, it's going to end up biting you. So, um, you know, as far as weapon lights go, you know, you've all heard my opinions on that. If it's a home defense weapon where, you know, you need positive identification, uh, under white light, kind of dynamic environment, bump in the night kind of thing. Sure. Uh, fine. That's, that's, that's whatever. Um, for it should be a pretty much foregone conclusion. Uh, a light on a handgun is absolutely a must have for positive identification. If you're working in law enforcement, it, it's a no brainer. But if you are moving as a, as a group doing small unit tactics, that's a whole different animal. Okay. And your weapon system is a whole different animal at that point as well. And I think that, uh, uh that's a differentiation that a lot of people don't make because they, they don't have that frame of reference. Uh, in all cases. So, you know, weapon lights, nah, you know, if you're stepping off on a patrol, we're hitting the woods, don't use it. Okay. It's going to get you compromised. You can take the battery out of it. You could, my preference is you can take it off because people with, you know, weapon lights and they say that they took the battery out, those batteries tend to have a magic way of, of reappearing inside of, of that optic, uh, or that, that weapon light, rather. Uh, so I'm just saying, you know, you're, you're better off taking it off. If it's not on there, then it can't compromise you. And it happens every scout course. You know, you guys get out on your night patrol, and all of a sudden, you get compromised by the Op 4 because, you know, somebody accidentally discharges their light. Uh, so, you know, noise and light discipline is a thing and that's something that we're learning more and more having to relearn, uh, over and over again, because that's just kind of the animal, uh, or the nature of the beast rather. So, um, you know, I, I really wanted to, to share those questions with all of you out there because it's one that, uh, again, I, I frequently get, uh, questions of this nature, whether it's people who've come out to class and trained or folks who, who are new to this and, you know, maybe they just have questions because they're fans of the show, they're fans of, of the website, they're fans of, of uh, what we're doing here collectively, right? So last question here, and I think this is a really good one. This is coming from Tonsay. And uh, Tonsay obviously is is uh, a jumbled up word for uh, uh, Sante, the, the very famous raid after the close of Vietnam, Sante raid. Uh, legendary special operation, one that um, uh, really is is important for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff we were just talking about, modern night vision, all the enablers, even red dots. You know, the Sante Raiders were using this stuff at the close of Vietnam. 
uh, as a uh, POW uh, rescue. And really interesting, right? Really interesting, really interesting story about how that, that unit, the Sante Raiders themselves, got stood up. And uh, their weapons that they were outfitted with, everything was non-standard. So it was really the Wild West back then. And, and a really cool story, piece of history that, that's mostly lost. Uh, but anyhow, this, um, so shout out to you, brother, for, for uh, using that as a, a pseudonym on the internet. Much respect. Uh, but hi, NC Scout. Uh, so I heard on a recent podcast where you mentioned the Americans and the old man. Uh, so that was a couple episodes ago. I did a real quick review of Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow in The Americans, or uh, rather The Old Man, and I referenced The Americans. Uh, the Americans, really, I think, probably the best spy series, TV series that's ever been done. I think it is uh, probably one of the best TV shows that have ever been made as well. Um, but, uh, the old man did a review of it. Some of the things that I really liked, the show is very good. There's some things that are kind of unrealistic about it, but it is, it, it's spy fiction for the sake of entertainment, not necessarily to, um, uh, teach people tradecraft. And, you know, the Americans approached it from a different angle it, it was designed to be kind of instructive uh, in, in one sense because Joe Weisberg, who was the uh, show creator and the show runner for the Americans, had spent his whole career as a CIA field officer. And, you know, they had guys like Jack Barsky in there who was a who was a real residentura guy. He, he was partly the inspiration for the character of Philip in the Americans and there was real stuff that you could take away from that. They, they wanted to maximize the realism and, and they won, uh, in that respect. But, um, the old man, great show though. And, and my criticisms of it are, are not to diminish the show. It, it's, it's an incredible show. I love Jeff Bridges. Um, wonderful actor, John Lithgow, you know, as always also a wonderful actor. These two guys just light it up on the screen they did an incredible job. The two actors that play them uh, as younger men in the midst of the Soviet Afghan war are brilliantly acted as well. And it, I think it's a great show. Uh, so anyway, going on with your, your question here, you should watch better call Saul for a variety of reasons. Pretty much everything I've seen in the show regarding tradecraft, firearms, deception, cons, criminal activity dealing with the cartels and assassinations, etc. The list goes on and is very well researched. The show is quite an anomaly, to be honest. If you do watch this, pay special extra attention to the actor and character Mike Ermatrout, played by Jonathan Banks. Be well, sir, and hope to meet you one day. Well, brother, I hope to meet you as well. Um, you know, Better Call Saul, great TV show. Uh, great TV show, very interesting concept of uh, just the whole way that it's done. I think uh, Breaking Bad, which Breaking Bad was kind of in its its heyday when I didn't have a lot of free time and I wasn't really uh, digging too many TV shows. And it was one of those that uh, some of my other guys that I was working with so, you know, hey, man, you, you really need to check this out because... Um, it, it's just a fascinating look at some of the things that we were dealing with at the time. 
and uh, interesting dynamics. Very well acted, and uh, you know the the character of Saul was originally, and this is something a lot of people don't know, that was originally supposed to be, um, you know, just just a passing thing, and it was so well received that it. It, it became its own spinoff series. And uh, Mike Ermatrout, so he is, his backstory, for, for the people who aren't familiar, his, his backstory in the show is that he is a uh, cop that was disgraced in, in Philadelphia, and he gets involved with the criminal underworld, and he's doing odd jobs here and there. He's a really interesting character for a lot of reasons. There's a scene with him where he's hired by a pharmaceutical technician who's selling pain pills to another small-time drug dealer um, who's who's running a chop shop with his dad in town. But this pharmaceutical tech, you know, the guy's in the middle of a midlife crisis. He has no idea what he's doing. He's kind of a nerdy, you know, fish out of water. And he hires these guys who are thugs to be his protection going into this drug deal. And so Mike shows up being a, you know, an older guy at this point, a grandfather type character, and he doesn't have a firearm. And so the other thugs are kind of goading him saying, you know, Hey, what do you mean? You, you don't even have a gun. What are you doing? You know, and he said, I don't need one. If I need a firearm, I'll take yours from you. And he really has that hard boiled, um, film noir type character that he's bringing to the table. And, uh, I really, I think that they did a really good job with it. Um, You're absolutely right. There is a lot of stuff in Better Call Saul that is well done and fairly realistic. There's some stuff, you know, that that not so much. I really don't think that you could be uh, a fake lawyer and get away with it. In in this day and age, you know, the whole premise of of all that is kind of hokey. But the idea of the story. Okay, the 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 way that it's illustrated, the way that it's done of of just this craziness of how things are interconnected and, um, you know, really how the criminal underworld operates, I think is really well done. I think that they did a really good job with it. And there's a lot to be learned from it. Of course, you know, I talked about dealing with with uh, criminal underworld elements on one of the episodes of Lessons from the Farm. And, um, you know, long story short, a lot of the lessons that you could take away uh, from fiction that is written kind of to convey things that are real but are done in a fictional way. Uh, You know, a lot of the takeaways that that we have there, one of the big ones is don't get involved with the criminal underworld, Uh, you know, in, in any capacity. Stay away from that stuff. Uh, it, it doesn't lead anywhere good. And unfortunately, I think as the uh, time drags on, the economic instability in the world is is uh, gaining steam by the day. You know, criminal underworld elements are going to be growing and in uh, huge numbers. Huge numbers. Economic downturns always signal a spike in crime. Um, uh, and, and that's the aggregate crime level across the board. And, you know, we're already seeing that 
criminal underworld elements, you know, whoever they are, whatever you want to call them, you know, uh, from, from every angle as they grow, they, they become a great threat and you have to be able to recognize those signs. Uh, so yeah, better call Saul wonderfully acted show. Uh, I think all the characters in there, they did a great job with them and, uh, very, very good and and, you know, can serve as a lesson too. you know, this, this is probably not what you want to be doing. Uh, this is how things can go sideways very, very quickly. So don't get involved with these guys. Uh, another show that I'll say, and I made brief mention of it last night with uh, Madman Actual, is The Wire. Uh, the Wire, classic, classic show on HBO uh, describing, uh, you know, Baltimore. You know, dealing with Baltimore, dealing with the criminal underworld in Baltimore, Baltimore Police Department, blurred lines when it comes to ethics. Uh, you know, I had a, a very good friend of mine and a mentor at one point in time, and his dad was uh, a retired criminal investigator from New Jersey. And, um, you know, he had spent his whole career in, in one of the, the major departments in New Jersey. And, when and, you know, when I was a young soldier in the Army, I worked under this guy uh, who's that was his father. And, and he had a lot of uh, very interesting experiences growing up based on that. And one of the things that he, he would always tell us under him is, is uh, you know, while we were deployed on my second deployment, watching The Wire as a team activity. So, you know, my dad tells me this is the most realistic cop show that's ever been made. And, um, you know, so that's another one. Another real, real good one out there. Uh, but great suggestions, great emails, as always. I wanted to take this episode uh, to field some of those questions and, you know, really uh, take a moment to to give back to this community, um, to, to give you more content and, and really field your questions. Because here's the thing, you know, if, if one person is asking this question, Everybody else is probably thinking it, or at least a lot of people have thought it, uh, you know, and, and just haven't haven't asked it. Maybe haven't thought to ask it. Maybe didn't want to ask it. Uh, but, you know, here here you are. And I wanted to feel those and spend just a little bit of time with you getting those out there. Anyway, folks, got a lot more coming down the pipe. Of course, the training calendar is updated. Brushbeater.org slash training calendar. That is brushbeater.org slash training calendar. The book is rolling right along. The first one is on um, uh, really in the middle of completion. And I'm very, very excited for it to get this thing cranked out. It's been a long time coming and, you know, getting it out there, getting it fielded, getting that knowledge out there, you know, because this community deserves it. The web store is going to be going live soon as well, working very closely with the IT folks, getting the loose ends tied up and uh, really, really looking forward to offering this community the very best. Anyway, with that said, folks, got a lot of content that's going to be coming down the pipe the remainder of this week and moving into next week as well. Get the fighting carbine. RTO, Advanced RTO, and Signals Intelligence coming up just week after next. It's right around the bend, and I would love to have all of you out there in class. But until then, God bless, keep training, 
Keep networking in your communities and keep it sane. This is NC Scout out. Back,